Life Audio. Hey, welcome to the Happy Ramp Podcast. I am Ted Club, joined as always in studio by my good friends, my partner in radio, Barnabas Piper. Pipe, we have something queued up today that I'm very excited to talk to you about. Uh, it's about a show that we've both consumed and loved, and I've, I've been kind of dying to chop it up about this show with you. So we will get into that. But before we do, uh, we have live show information to share with the, the good people of the Happy Rant Army, uh, all of whom we hope show out in droves in Indianapolis on September 24 to help us celebrate the end of this thing, um, to to send us out in style, and we will send them out in style with swag and lots of laughter and good times. Piper, what are the details on that event? Uh, the details are, well, first of all, you can find all of the details at thehappyrant.com, and then there's a tab called The Live Show. You can find all the details there, but I will run through them. It is Sunday evening, September 24th, so just over a month out from the time of this recording, probably just under a month out from the time of this show's releasing. So kind of in the home stretch here, there's still seats available. Uh, tickets are either $35 or you can get the $50 option, which includes a custom t-shirt for uh, that, that'll be designed by Josh Byers of Visual Theology. He does all of our design work, all of our swag, does excellent stuff. And uh, bring a group if you're planning to be at the Gospel Coalition. Uh, this is on the eve of that in Indianapolis at... Let's see. Is it Sojourn Midtown? I think that's right. No, not Sojourn. Soma. I'm getting it mixed. It's Soma. Soma it's Midtown. Soma. Yeah. Goodness. Soma We've Church so and many of these. Yeah, we, we have, have such a man. long it's and storied career. It's all yeah. running together in my mind. It's like trying to yeah. remember 1970s baseball stadiums that all look the same. Yeah, exactly. Um, yeah, so Soma Church in Indianapolis. Again, all those details are on the website. The way this thing will work is we will do the same thing we've done at previous live shows, but with a little bit more... Uh, let's say structure and preparation. So we we tend to do two episodes of us talking on mic, and then one that is all interaction with the audience. We love to lean heavily that direction. That's a lot more yeah, fun than just us blast. blathering. You know, yeah. we we do a lot of blathering. So interacting with you, audience, as you come up with your questions, your most clever questions, your most heartfelt questions. You can get a little emotional at this one because it is our big send-off. We're good with that. We'll provide some Kleenexes and everything. Mm. Uh, there will be refreshments. There will be sponsors who are giving away stuff. It should be a good time all around. Uh, we would love to see you out there. Love it. Outstanding promo, Ted, pipe. I have, a, I have a question for you, Ted. You used the term yeah. Happy Rant Army. Yeah. And it made me <laughs> wonder, what would the standard uniform of a Happy Rant Army soldier be? Oh, man. I mean... Truth be told, I think for for officers, it would be dumpy khakis and some kind of pastoral like button down shirt. Do you remember uh, the ill fit khakis bit oh, that yeah. we did like six years ago? Oh yeah. Okay. Yep. So we would, it would it would have to be ill fit khakis. It would have to be ill fit khakis. I would I would be very open to if there's a venture capitalist out there, if there's some sort of angel investor, which is a term that I heard on a movie. Um, if, if there's someone in the business community who wants to help us launch ill-fit khakis, uh, I, I would still be very down to do that. Um, I had another business question to run by you, Pipe. But, but I think for the younger uh, Happy Rant Army members, it, it would be like 
kind of whatever these CrossFit mega church guys wear, sort of the 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 black t-shirt, the uh the North Face kind of apparel, the that sort of hat, you know. Okay. Gotcha. Um they grow those guys on trees, as you know. Um <laughs> those those guys are just yeah, everywhere. Yeah, it's actually uh it's actually a native it's actually a native species, a native plant to Tennessee, especially the it's middle a, Tennessee, Nashville area. So we we uh, yeah, we harvest many here. You harvest and export to West Tennessee. Yeah. Not, uh, not to be confused with the James McDonald harvest. That's different. But uh, Dude, I had a I had yeah. a I have a friend who's on staff at like the Pottery Barn mega church in our town. And uh we joke around about this kind of stuff all the time. And he and he sneaky like snapped a pic of their staff meeting. And it it was a room full of like handsome, affluent, like thirty three year old white people, and like two thirds of them were wearing North Face. And he's like, "See, you're you're right." <laughs> and uh, yeah, it was that's good. Great. I'm glad they're ready to scale Mount Everest when it's yeah. 107 degrees with 100 percent humidity outside. That's very fitting. Yeah, they're they're ready to scale Mount Everest. By which I mean make a PowerPoint about the new children's wing or whatever on their but, way to Trader Joe's. <laughs> exactly. Dude. Um, I had, a, I had another business question for you and then we'll, we'll get to our break and get to our content. The happy It strikes me that this could be a semi lucrative URL that we should probably like try to sell after we're done with it. Don't you think? And by semi lucrative, I mean, maybe somebody would give us, I don't know, a thousand bucks for it or whatever, you know? Um, do do we want to give up the rights to like, then somebody could, but the problem is somebody could go looking for our stuff, like archivally. Yeah. That's and true. end up being led to pottery barn, mega church or yeah. crazy cult or, you know, politically uh, divisive website or, yeah. you know, some, some weirdo sub stack or who knows what. So yeah, exactly. I don't know. Exactly. I'm, I'm uncomfortable with this, with where it could go, but then again, money talks. So send in yeah. your bids folks. Money talks. We got to get our North face shirts one day, Piper, you know, we can't, we can't go through that lost and found bin at Taylor or Wheaton anymore. You know, it's, it's real now. So I, I owned a North face shirt that I got out of the lost and found at Wheaton <laughs> up until about four years ago. Yeah. So, and you know, I finished college in 2005. So we're talking Atta almost boy. 20 years yeah, yeah. of, of owning this thing. Cause I think I got it my freshman or sophomore year. It was just a long sleeve, like dry fit kind of t-shirt. Yep. And, yep. uh, yeah, nice. it's amazing. It's amazing what trust fund babies leave behind. It really is. And I wish you could have gotten a few more years out of it because it would have been nice to start your, your pastoral ministry journey in, uh, in the official branded apparel of being a white pastor, you know, um, <laughs> but we, we'll, we'll get you some more North base. I, I think there's going to be some dollars in our future after, uh, after we sell that URL pipe, there is some good radio in our future after we take this quick break. Well, good day to you. It's Joel with the King Country dropping in to let you know that our brand new film, Unsung Hero, is in theaters now. It's Luke here. We've teamed up with the creators of Jesus Revolution to bring you this adventure of a lifetime. It's a powerful, true story about a family uniting, growing in their faith and facing the impossible together. In theaters now, unsunghero.movie for more information. Rated PG. Parental guidance suggested. What impacts you every day? There is one book that influences almost every aspect of our lives. Museum of the Bible reveals the Bible's impact on your favorite musicians and artists, the way we measure time, 
social justice, our national monuments, and more. The Bible's impact is all around you. Discover how at museumofthebible.org slash impact. All right, Piper, we're back. Um, There was a show that I think drifted across my transom in the spring. And then I watched the first season again with my son, Tristan, this summer. And then we, of course, watched the second season. Uh, It's a show called The Bear. And it's a show about restaurant life, about Chicago. Um, It's about people trying, which I find really attractive. Uh, I find that attractive in a person. I find it attractive in a show. And it's a show about sometimes the thing that you love is not also the thing that makes you happy. Um, We can go any direction with this conversation about the bear, but do those sort of thematic uh, categorizations make sense to you? Or are there any that I've left out? Um, I think they do. I, I, I think that the things that, so I'm about halfway through season two right now. Are there three seasons? Is that right? There's going to be a third, but it hasn't uh, okay. dropped yet. So in that case, I'm, I'm nearly to the end of what is currently available. I yeah. uh, have absolutely loved it. The things that, that have resonated with me have been the, the complications of uh, the family complications. Oh, man, you know? yes. So the, the yeah. implications of sort of how do, you, how do you honor the memory of someone while also acknowledging that they completely screwed everything up. So sort yep. of the, the, the mixed bag aspects of those things. The uh, the character development, you know, in terms of and what I mean by that is not just how the writers have written them, but like watching the people actually improve. So the main character mm-hmm. begin to get better at apologizing and get better at admitting that he's yeah. wrong and treat people better and things. like. I mean, there's, yes. there's an arc to it that you just go, this this isn't like an anti-hero. He's. He's right. actually growing into a mature person or at least taking significant strides. Those kinds of things really resonate with me as well. And then uh, I, I imagine you feel this way. It really does feel to me like an ode to Chicago, and yeah. which is which is my favorite city in the United States. I yeah, live in Nashville. Too. I love living in Nashville. Mm-hmm. Um, but there is not a place like Chicago. And no. it is... And they do such a phenomenal job of sort of bringing in the kind of the nuances of it. Yes. You know, so it's not like, like when you watch Ted Lasso, it all feels very romanticized about England and London. Yeah, it's like, here's, here's one of those little red phone booths and here's a, I don't know, shot of Big Ben. And he lives in what, like Notting Hill or whatever. It's a very sort of cute area. And this is not that. This feels like. No. Like I know people like this from having spent yeah. time in Chicago and, 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 you know, kind of friends of friends and stuff like that. And it feels very, yeah. uh, very much closer to authentic and, you know, in, in the same way that they talk about family being very sort of, it's very honest and yeah. very loving at the same time. Yeah. It's, it's a whole thing and it's, it's comprehensive the way they do the Chicago stuff because yeah, to your point, Typically when a show is set in Chicago, you'll get you'll get the like the little shot of the Chicago police car and the the shot of the elevated train rumbling by and that's it. But um I I really think they went as deep and granular as you could possibly get in that like the the main characters look like Chicago people, they sound like <laughs> Chicago people, they yes. talk 
like like when they introduced Carmi's girlfriend in season two, I was like, oh my gosh, that's a Chicago girl. You know, yes. like they they nailed it. She even that, that girl the, really exists. The yeah. attitude, all yeah. of it. Yeah, yeah, totally. And like I'm related to some of those people. So and what's fascinating to me, I was talk I was talking to somebody else who who I'm on staff with who grew up in uh, in the deep south. And mm-hmm. they loved the show, and they said it makes me never want to visit Chicago. And I was like, "That's fascinating," because it makes me want to yeah. move back to Chicago, dude. Me too. It makes me want to go there like right now. You know, there there's so much energy, and it and it's sort of. And I suppose New York people feel romantic about New York in the same way, but like R- New York think- people feel like everybody should feel romantic about New York. Yeah, <laughs> I I completely understand why people don't feel romantic about Chicago. I do. Yeah. Yes, exactly. And I think there's an attitude about Chicago where like Chicago people don't care if you feel romantic about it. And that's that's part of what makes it romantic. And yeah, no, it's it's so let me ask you this. Did you ever go through a discernible like romanticizing the idea of living in the city phase in your life? Is oh, it something that you you actively yes. fantasized about? Yeah, hundred percent. But but not. Okay, let me rephrase that. Yeah, yeah. not romanticizing uh, as much as feeling superior. Mm. The, the mm-hmm. city, so so because I grew up in the city, which is different yeah. than those who grew up outside and like the sort of ro- the romantic notion of the big city and the you know yes. the the pace and the culture and whatever. So yeah. then I moved from the city to the suburbs and have spent the last. 20 plus years of my life uh some version of feeling like the city is very superior to wrestling with the coming to terms with the fact that i'm a suburban person now and yeah. uh and still part of me is like but the city is better and I so know. so it's not it's not the i would say it's not the ignorant romantic like romanticization i don't mm-hmm. know if that's a word yeah. um but but the the sort of pining away slash you know, kind of, I, I, have, I have a little bit of a superiority complex because I'm more familiar with this than uh-huh. than you than you you know yeah yeah blah, blah a, beige suburban people. Yes, no, that's a, that's very much an attitude and a feeling. And and add to that, I think our generation's heaping dose of like when you did your inevitable move to the city in like your early twenties, like that you were positioning it as. I'm literally going to be doing incarnational ministry all the live long day. Like there's not a moment that's going to go by where I'm not going to be like, you know, giving some homeless guy something to eat and like sharing the gospel. And, you know, and the fact of the matter is you went to work and you went home and you watched TV in the city as much as you did in the suburbs. But like, and, and but so the inverse of that. And you were really like, proud of yourself for discovering like a taco truck or something. Yeah. You discovered a taco truck. You felt like a real, you know, or a real man, but uh, the inverse of that was those people in the suburbs do they do nothing but like uh, pleasure themselves all the live long day. <laughs> you know, it's the most banal existence imaginable. And it, there is so much like arrogance cooked into that. But this show, it, it kind of reengages all those city fantasies and like really, to me, authentic feeling ways. And uh, I, I love it for that. So, Pipe, let's do this. Let's take a break. And when we get back, I'm going to just fire a bunch of questions at you regarding the show, and we'll see where the conversation goes. We'll be back in just a minute. What impacts you every day? 
There is one book that influences almost every aspect of our lives. Museum of the Bible reveals the Bible's impact on your favorite musicians and artists, the way we measure time, social justice, our national monuments, and more. The Bible's impact is all around you. Discover how at museumofthebible.org impact. Hi, everyone. If you've been injured in an accident that was not your fault, listen up. We have legal professionals standing by to answer your questions for free. Call now and find out if you have a case and how much it's potentially worth. Call 800-497-4410. I'm here with spokesman John Wolfe. So, John, tell everyone listening who should call right now. Well, Maria, first off, thank you for having me here. It's always nice to answer the listeners' questions. Now, as far as who should call in... Anyone who's been injured in an accident and think you deserve compensation, give us a call right now. 800-497-4410. You'll find out if you have a case and how much it's potentially worth. Thanks, John. You heard it, folks. Take advantage of this opportunity and call now. 800-497-4410. Advertisement sponsored by Legal Help Center may not be available in all states. All right, Pipe, we're back. Uh, if people are familiar, I want to give them just 30 seconds of like thumbnail on the plot of the show. So set in Chicago, uh, the main character is a guy named Carmi. He's a young guy, ostensibly in his early 30s, who has inherited his dead brother's uh, like Chicago beef uh, storefront. And Carmi is like a Michelin star chef regarded the world over as one of the greats or one of the ascending greats. And he kind of throws all that away to move home and try to make a go of this sandwich shop. And uh, in the sandwich shop are a variety of characters, including uh, his cousin, who's really just a family friend, which is also a very Chicago thing, like grafting people into your family who aren't actually in your family. Yeah. And, and you uh, don't find out they're not really cousins for a few episodes. They just yell yeah. at each other. They they swear at each other and call each other cousin. You're they like, oh, they're clearly cousin. family. Yeah. No, I love it. I love it. And uh, so there's a there's an array of interesting characters uh, in the kitchen, and they're all kind of on these journeys in their lives where they're trying to make something work. And they're trying, Pipe, to decide to commit to this or not. Like, do I want to care? Or do I want to maintain this sort of position of kind of defeatist nonchalance, which is really uh, part and parcel with being a certain kind of youngish person? Um, so it's just a, it's a spectacular array of people. Let's start with Carm. Uh, is he a good looking guy or not to you? Carmy, the main <laughs> character. <laughs> um, you know, he, he's very Sean Pennish. Yeah. The young and, Sean Penn. Yeah. And I, and I, and I don't mean that. I, I mean that in the sense that like, there is absolutely something sort of ruggedly captivating, but not classically handsome. You know, he's not Brad yeah. Pitt. And yeah. and that's good because yes. that feels very Chicago to me. Like the good looking guy in New York should be a model. The good looking yeah. guy like in Milan should be a model. The good looking yeah. guy in Chicago should look like he lost a few fist fights in high school and, and his yeah. nose is not quite straight. And that's that's kind of what he looks like. No, that's and, such and he a great always, description. And he always looks exhausted. Like his Yeah. He, I don't know if it's makeup or just his face, but his tired yeah. eyes are the most yeah. tired eyes in the world. Yeah, this is a guy who's like making it on three and a half hours of sleep at night. And he's like, 
selling you know vintage jean jackets out of his like oven at home he uses as a you know like a place to store the denim and you know there there's something that if they'd gone a few percentage points in the wrong direction it would have made him insufferably hipster but because it's in chicago and because he's who he is and he looks the way he does like there's a to your point like a ruggedness about him that to me is really appealing and easy to look at and easy to be with and super fun. So here's another question. I feel like this show is a master's class in like how to tell a story. And by that, I mean, not just the storytelling of the show, but like the scenes where dudes are like telling stories to each other, like that John Bernthal scene where they're talking about, you know, being at some bar at like four in the morning, 45 in the morning, and it's the, in the and morning. The yeah. Blackhawks are celebrating and all that. Yeah. The Blackhawks yes. are celebrating and they're so into this story and you can tell they've told it a hundred times and it just rips. Uh, I feel like there are a handful of those moments where some dude is on screen telling a story and I'm like, Oh my gosh, I wish what, I could tell stories. like that. What they offset that with was, you know, so they're telling that story and it's in the, it's in like a family kitchen. And so everybody's yeah. like, you know, everybody knows every rhythm of this thing. That's like right. They, they know, know all the, the notes. They know yeah. all the, yeah, they're singing along. Then they transition to cousin Richie mm-hmm. at a bar uh, or at a restaurant, kind of a nice restaurant, telling the same story to a date. And you can tell it's kind of a setup and date. Yes. And she is utterly disinterested, missing the yeah. point. And she ends with, so you were at a bar at 6.45 in the morning? Yes. And he yeah. walks out alone, you know, and goes yep. and finds a cab or whatever. And yeah. and so even just that, I was like, that 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 adds a whole element to how why and how the story works. Yeah, the the show is so impeccably edited, you know, so like intercutting that scene of the date not going well and him knowing exactly what kind of girl she is based on her reaction to that story, um, I thought was just spectacular and really interesting. So let's talk about Richie. Um, I have like massive amounts of affection for the Richie character (laughs) and really did from like word one of the show like as soon as he was on screen i was like oh my gosh i love this guy he's a mess but i love him um and the the growth that they give richie throughout the life of the show has kind of for me become what the show is about um and i don't want to give anything away there but but he yeah he has quite a journey what what are your thoughts on richie like immediately drawn to him or immediately repulsed by him or somewhere in the middle both which yeah. is which is precisely how one feels about the true like kind of rough Chicago character. Yes. That you know I I know I know guys who are a lot like that and you do want to beat the everything out of them but also never stop hanging out with them. Yeah. And the thing that the thing that Richie is and I don't know a better way to say it, he is he is the heart of the show. Yeah. Yeah, in terms is. of uh like you know when when uh, when Carmi comes back to take over the restaurant uh Richie's the heart of the restaurant at no yeah. point do you see him do anything useful as far right. as i can tell <laughs> yeah. but he is the energy the life of the place for better and worse he's yeah. sort of the 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 best aspects and then also kind of the worst aspects and that makes him super compelling and and such a sympathetic character and i think the one scene of his thus far and i don't think there's any spoilers here so I'm not, I don't think I'm doing anything uh, yeah. that, that, that kind of 
sucked me into his character most was when he he was arguing with Sydney, mm. the young sous chef, kind of the mm-hmm. overly aspirational, maybe yeah. most annoying character in the show by design. Yeah. Um, I agree. Yeah. About the trend of Chicago. And you, what you realize is he is terrified of losing a way of life. Yeah. And that, that is, that is just baked into who he is. And yeah. she sees it as progress. Yes. You know, cause he starts talking about, he's like, you got Logan Square and Wicker Park and all this. And, you know, and, 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 and they're all like going to crap. And yeah. she's like, or just changing. Right. And, and so, and you're like, oh, that's, that's it right there. There's, there's sort of the, the tension yeah. and that's uh, I found, I found that scene particularly to be like, oh, that's, that's Richie in a nutshell. Like he's, he is, he's sensitive. He's terrified. He's also the toughest guy in the room. He's yeah. all heart and very little logical thought. And yeah. uh yeah. And, and super compelling. No. Yeah. No, that's, that's an amazing scene. And he even says in that scene, like, it's a delicate ecosystem, right? So, yeah, he sees the like hipsterization of food when in Chicago as, and as it's so funny because I, I was I was watching this, you know, I'm watching this with with Lauren, and she she hears that line, she goes, "A delicate ecosystem where people are waving guns." Yeah, and I'm and I'm like, yes, exactly. Yeah, <laughs> the, exactly. The guns are what make it delicate. If there are no right. guns, it's not delicate. <laughs> yeah, no, exactly. And yeah, Richie is so loyal, you know. So whenever whenever anyone in the, in the restaurant is like threatened in any way, he's there, you know, he's, he's the first guy to have your back. Um, but he's also the first guy that you get exasperated with. And I think there's a, there's a, a really interesting quote unquote, good with people thing about Richie, where he is like outstanding with people, you know, like he's working the front of the house in the sandwich shop and people are coming in and he's got a nickname for everybody. And, um he's got a he's got a line for everybody and he's just naturally compelling in that way but the ceiling or the the floor is so low you know like when it goes bad with richie it goes really bad and um that just struck me as very authentic you know i think i think a lot of people who are great with people can also be terrible with people and um yeah he just seems like a real guy in that regard but very much a guy that i would i would love to spend time with like like if you had an evening out with Richie, it would be, you know, one of the one of the best evenings of your life. It'd be outstanding. You'd Which, laugh harder than you'd laughed in months. You'd probably almost get into a fight. Like it would be amazing. You'd come away with like five stories. Yeah. Be really good. Yeah. And what's what's fat you know, so the story you were talking about that, that John Bernthal was telling, John Bernthal's character mm-hmm. was telling, you know, and then how it ends with and Bill Murray showed up. Yeah. <laughs> and uh and and I'm like Richie's character is Bill Murray, like, right with anger problems. Yeah, yeah. You know, because everything you know, it, Bill Murray is like a walking urban legend. You know, where he like shows yeah. up to campus parties, or he like shows up at someone's house party and then like spends an hour and a half doing dishes in the kitchen and just weird stuff like that. Yeah, I'm like that's kind of Richie's character. Yeah, except he just needs to mellow out into that because right now he's the crazy version. Yeah, for sure, for sure. I want to talk about another character uh cicero um kind of to me emblematic of like the old chicago guy um you know he wears the big glasses with like a little tent to him he's uh maybe involved in some mafia activity um i think that guy's awesome oliver platt plays him to great effect uh i love the scenes that cicero's in i love the scene where 
they take hot dogs like out to this kid's party at Cicero's house and accidentally like zan up all the kids and they, they all fall asleep <laughs> and you expect cicero to be mad about it but he's just like nah i kind of like it um what, what are your thoughts on that character he he's the most i think the maybe the most uh enigmatic character yeah. because which again is kind of pitch perfect for who he is because he's so likable and charming played yeah. so well but there's always this undercurrent of he might make your body disappear into the rock quarry off of, you know, I-90. Like, yeah, exactly. you, you don't, you don't actually know if this guy is safe. You, you know that he is super wealthy. Yeah. Uh, but it's very vague as to how he's wealthy. And that's, right. you know, that's, that seems very Chicago to me as well. Yeah. Uh, where, man, there's a lot of money here. Where did it come from? No, we don't ask. And, uh, yeah. and so, yeah, there's, um, his his character his character is super important in the that delicate ecosystem of the show. Yes. But also I'm like I don't I don't know if I like this guy or not. I like him, I but I don't know if I like him. Yeah. I'm glad you mentioned money. The the show has an interesting relationship with money. And as <laughs> as I wrote in uh, the Happy Rant book, I have an interesting relationship with money in that there there seems to be two distinctly different types of young Chicago guys that you could be. And you know this from living in Chicago and I know it from being around it so much. Like um, you can be the young kind of douchebag in a suit who works in finance, or you could be one of these guys. And <laughs> it's, it's very important to these guys to be one of these guys, but they also, you know, in, in Carmi's case, there's this like deep need to prove himself, which I also resonate with, you know, a, a thousand times over. So he needs to prove something. He's got a lot of shame, I think, just because of his family and kind of how they grew up and all that stuff. Um, and they need money to make a go of it, you know? So there's always this kind of like tension around money and how much stuff costs and where are we going to get money? And we got to get money from Cicero um while also not engaging the chicago finance douchebag kind of stock character at all um i thought that was really interesting well i i appreciate that they don't like the money aspect of the show is so real where you know multiple times which makes total sense because it is a restaurant industry setting and everything is margins yeah and so like it is frustrating to me when you watch a show and and people just sort of have money. Yeah. Hey, where does this come from? How do they do this? Un- unless it's a crime show and you're like, oh, it's because they're drug dealers or whatever. And so the fact that, you know, there's a scene where, where Carmi bails somebody else out of jail. Yeah. And used the two-week floating fund for the restaurant. Right. You know, like he, yeah. he basically is like, I, I took our safety net and did this and it was worth it because of our relationship. Yeah, that because kind of, this guy had my back, you yeah. know, and he's completely loyal. Yeah, and no, so it, you know, so so it's it's re, you know, and then there's the there's you know there's the the sort of remodel scenes, and again, I'm not going to get into too much to, to ruin the plot of the show, but where yeah. they're they're breaking it down item by item. Can we do this? Can we afford this? How much do we need yeah. to borrow? How much you know? What's going to happen if we lose out on this and so forth? It's uh, yeah. I I appreciate the sort of like blunt reality of it because it adds tension. Yeah. You know, yeah, it's, all of us, all of us 
pro- I shouldn't say almost all of us probably have been at a place where we we are looking at our our bills and the amount of month left and the amount of money in the bank account going I cannot make this add up. Yeah, I don't know how we're going to do this. Yeah. And so like sure. that that is a gut level tension that this show handle and it's not just sort of a generalized like we don't have the money. It's like they're breaking it down item by item. They're like we can buy this or we can pay people, but we can't do both. Yeah, the show does an incredible job. And it occurred to me as you were talking, I love this type of media more than maybe any other. The type of media that like equal parts romanticizes and also unromanticizes something. You know what I mean? So like if if you are the type of person, and, and we are kind of this type of person, KK and I, who's who's always sort of romanticized, like what if we opened a restaurant? Like the show will feed that fantasy in really interesting ways while at the same time like stripping away a lot of what you romanticized about it you know it makes it look hard and it should make it look hard because it is hard um so in that way it's really honest but also you could still watch it and go man food like I, i love being creative in the kitchen and i love what happens when two creative people get together and you know it's it's really it's a show about creativity and I always love a show like that too, because you know, in my heart of hearts, I hope I'm always like creating something, making something, pushing myself in similar ways. And I I look at Carmi's drive and it reminds me a lot of my own early career drive, but it doesn't remind me of now, you know, uh, I don't feel that way now about anything. But uh, but I did then, and I kind of I kind of look at him wistfully and wish I had a little bit of that back, you know. Yeah, I I really appreciated the way that they uh, there there was a scene in the episode that one of the episodes we watched most recently where he's talking about happiness and how the thing that the thing that he is is pursuing that he loves that he's passionate about actually provides no happiness. Yeah. And uh, and I just I thought that was so compelling because because it's similar to what you just said. There is a there is a, a kind of uh, creative passion drive romantic aspect to like man get after the stuff that you're you're crazy about. Wouldn't it be amazing mm-hmm. to do this? And then even while you're doing it, they're undermining it with <clears throat> the exhaustion and being like, yeah, sometimes the thing that you're most passionate about doesn't actually deliver any happiness. Like you find no right. joy in doing the thing that you feel like you absolutely must do. Right. And, uh, and not in like a, the thing is it, it, it walks that delicate balance between like, it's all meaningless, sort of the nihilistic, like this is pointless. Yeah. And, and something else because there's still, a, there's still a purpose in it. Yeah. And so I, I've, I've, I really appreciated that scene and some others where he's sort of unearthing the, I don't know, the psychology behind the things. Yeah, and, he's uh, trying to figure his life out, yeah. you know, which is exceedingly relatable. Like, yeah, it, it's more self-discovery than it is sort of uh, discursus on something. Yeah, which which I which I appreciate. Oh, hundred percent. That's a good segue into what I want to talk about next, and we'll do it right up. What impacts you every day? There is one book that influences almost every aspect of our lives. Museum of the Bible reveals the Bible's impact on your favorite musicians and artists, the way we measure time, social justice, our national monuments, and more. The Bible's impact is all around you. 
Discover how at museumofthebible.org slash impact. Hi, I'm Rebecca Scott. As a servant of God, wife, and mother of four, I understand the juggle of multiple roles and stages. That's why I created the Encourager podcast to help guide us through the messy middle stage of life. Join me on The Encourager as we challenge the chaos and embrace harmony. Together, we'll create practical systems to balance your roles and fulfill priorities. And we will do it while having joy and energy for both home and work life. Tune in for inspiring stories and interviews, actionable tips, and methods to do both home and work life. Because here, we believe you can do all things, just not all at once. After this quick break. All right, Piper, we're back. We're we're talking about this rich, layered show, The Bear, with all these themes and with all these characters trying to figure themselves out, and they want something, and it's all kind of done on the canvas of Chicago with these incredible needle drops. Like, what, what's your favorite like musical thing about the show? I feel like the music in it is just exceptionally, uh, weirdly dissonant, but yes. in great ways. Man, so they they there was a scene. Um, there's a lot of, there's a lot of great musical stuff in there. Some of it is yeah. like throwback stuff, you know, classic rock stuff, yeah, all sorts, all sorts of stuff. But I mean, it, it doesn't, it doesn't have like a musical feel. There's not sort of that right. mon, that montage song. Like, yeah. again, comparing this show to Ted Lasso, which is another one that I love. Yeah. Totally different in terms of how yeah. they use music to kind of affect mood. So yeah. the, the one that stands out in my mind, there's a scene. It's when, uh. Why am I blanking on his name? Is it Marcus? Marcus, the, uh, yeah, the, Great the, the dessert pastry guy. Yeah. He is. He's overseas, I think, in Denmark to kind of do food research. Yeah, and uh, and there's this just it. It is. It's sort of a style of avant garde jazz that I've never heard before. Mm. And uh, but perfect for the scene. And I was like, this this song is a groove. And so yeah. I I pull out my phone and I you know I basically let my phone listen to it and it tells me who it is. Never heard of the artist. Don't know what huh. style of music it was. I'm like this this is like musical research yeah. by whoever this is. It wasn't just sort of like man we need a we need sort of a Miles Davisy sound. Yes, yeah. Which I love Miles Davis, but they went yeah. they went like quirky offbeat. And and also perfect for for the scene, and it's uh, be- because what it did is it it didn't present you with an obvious mood in terms of like oh this is a happy scene this is a sad scene this is a scary yeah. scene this is whatever it felt far more sort of complicated than that yeah no which was I, appropriate it really was and that whole like Marcus in Denmark run was such a great kind of stylistic foil to the chaos that you'd been sitting with, you know, and, and the, I think the other fun thing about this show is that it's all like off-speed pitches, you know? So you'll get, you'll get a, like a 33 minute episode of fastballs where everybody's just screaming at each other in the kitchen. And the conflict is like at a nine or a 10 the whole time. And then you'll get this whole app of like, you know, Marcus, uh, I don't know, tweezering like oregano onto a, onto a piece of meat in Denmark. And you're like, it's it's so quiet. There's no yelling. There's no music. It's just Marcus like having a really sweet, you know, revelatory conversation with this other chef with whom he ostensibly has nothing in common, but but kind of ends up having a ton in common with. And you get a lot of that in season two. 
you know, you get a lot of the light bulb is going on for people and you get it in, with Richie in the forks episode, right? Where he's, he has to go to this hipster restaurant and just like polish forks all day. And it's Richie's moment of truth. He can either like, you know, commit himself to the craft or he can just walk away from it all and continue to kind of self-destruct and time after time. And this is what I want to talk about. People in the program pipe are choosing to try and it, it stands as such a kind of distinct opposite from so much of the hipster media we've been consuming for the last 20 years. So I'm thinking specifically of two things. I tried to watch the new Wes Anderson movie, Asteroid City, recently. And it was, you know, in, in the way of all Wes Anderson, like, achingly hipster, and the set design was impeccable. But his movies have grown increasingly deadpan over the years, where it's like everybody's delivery is so dead and everybody's eyes are dead. And, like, a character can be, and this happened in Asteroid City, like, sharing with his children that their mother has died. And he's just so deadpan about it. And the children are like, huh, my sandwich is cold. And the whole thing is so like devoid of anything human. I've seen this in a lot of shows. So I saw it in Asteroid City, which was terrible. And I saw it in this HBO show that we're trying to watch called Barry, uh, which is this new Bill Hader thing where he's a, uh, a hitman who moves to L.A. and kind of falls in love with acting. But it's so deadpan. I don't know. The, the bear strikes me as like the kind of spiritual opposite of those things. And I, I love it for that. Has has that kind of motif occurred to you at all? Yes, but without the contrast, because I hate Wes Anderson. Yeah, uh, I do too now. And yeah, like I just, I Wes Anderson always feels to me like a, this is a YouTube bit that got in, that got 90 <laughs> minutes long, you know, like yeah, yeah. basically similar to anything Bill Hader does, like yeah. really funny for four minutes or less yeah and yeah. trying to turn that into a, something else so because it does feel it, it it feels bit-ish it feels disconnected yeah. like it's it's funny because it contrasts with reality not because it sure. presents a reality mm-hmm. and uh but but what you're saying about the bear totally connects because it, because it's actually it feels like a contrast with all sorts of things so you know the other shows that 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 i enjoy watching are they're usually much more sort of criminally intense or yeah, yeah. or there's sort of like you know like i love watching justified there's a new seat a new um series kind of a justified spinoff and it's very inhuman because it's all yeah. like you know kind of swaggering cops and you know evil <laughs> yeah. bad guys and, and like you sort of unplug from reality to enjoy that yeah or even like ted lasso which got at the heart of a lot of things but like nothing about that is real yeah, really cartoonish but kind of presentation of things. Right, yeah. but it's very compelling because yeah. because of what they're presenting. And this feels much more like the the thing that I have noticed about myself is when people make decisions in this show, I either am like, no, or yes. You know, mm-hmm. like there's a sense mm-hmm. of like, I'm so like, there's, a, there's, just a, re- there's a really subtle scene. You know, you're talking about the off-speed pitches. There's a yeah. scene where everything's blowing up uh, in the kitchen and Carmi loses his mind you know, slaps food out of Marcus's hand, all this stuff. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And like one of the first scenes in the next episode is he sticks his head into the, the area of the kitchen where Marcus is working and just says, I'm so sorry. I was way out of line. Yeah. Oh, and just kind great. of, and just kind yeah. of eats crow for his terrible behavior. Yeah. And it was so 
it, but but in a very normal way, not like uh, I'm going to yeah. write you a long note. I'm going to make a big scene out of it, but just like an yeah. appropriate context. <clears throat> yeah. And uh, and I just I I almost like in my in in like interior I cheered because I was yes. like that. Oh yeah, that's the right thing to do. That's yes. so good. Yeah, and, it is, and it's like as a pastor for you, this is what you want to see out of a man, right? Like, and and so many men are incapable of doing this. And, you know, yet Carmi valued the relationship with Marcus enough to like swallow his own pride and go and do a hard thing, which was to apologize to him. And yeah, you're cheering, you know, yeah, because so, it's, and, it's growth. And you're talking about the, the, the decisions of people to try, you know, mm -hmm. there are scenes where people walk away and then come back and they're like, no, nah, it's worth it. There's those kinds yes. of things. The, the, you see it on the family front, you know, there's, it's super complex and, uh, and there's a lot of family hurt, which kind of gets unveiled over time as you learn more and they just keep throwing themselves into it and not in a hopeless way, but in a like, okay, how are we going to, how are we going to make this work? How are we going to do it better? And it, it really is compelling, not because I'm trying to think there, there has been almost no kind of, uh, like Ted Lasso, we like, man, that was so heartwarming and happy ending kind of thing. Right. Yeah, you're not getting that. But you get the same sense of like, yeah, this is going in a good direction. I really, yeah. I pre, I mean, or even if it's not working out, like you did all the right things. Yes, to, to, to try. Yeah, that's right. Like when you when you see Marcus like learn to make a new thing in the kitchen, you're like, oh my gosh, that's great. <laughs> like, good for him, you know. And you're you're kind of. Um, enjoying the successes along with him as he as he finds his way into a new persona and there was that great that, that great episode where they're in Denmark and he's talking with a guy and you're learning stuff finally about Marcus's life like he played small college football somewhere in the Chicago area and I'm like oh I wonder if he played for like Elmhurst or you know Wheaton yeah, or North, North Central right North or Central yeah. or whatever yeah yeah and you know so you're you're kind of teasing that out but you you get the sense that he's been kind of rudderless since then. And he's been looking for something to captivate him in the same way that football did. And like cooking becomes that thing. And I'm like, Oh man, I, I really relate to that. You know, that's, that's super real. And he feels uncomfortable in that world initially, but then he starts to feel more comfortable in it. It's just, uh, it's just really delightful. Um, the journeys that you, that you go on with some of the, some of these characters and, um, yeah, great show. Um, another great show, Pipe, will be the live show at Soma Church and Day Spa, September 24. Go to .com, uh, Secure your tickets. Secure your Tier 1 VIP tickets, uh, which gets you a T-shirt as well. Pipe, anything else to say about the bear or anything media-related? I feel like we would be remiss if we didn't take a couple minutes and I realize you're trying to sign us off, but to talk yeah. about Sydney, because Sydney is oh, sort yeah, of the, yeah, the straw that stirs the plot in a lot of ways and mm -hmm. is, uh, I think, is maybe the most conflicting character. Because the other yeah. ones, it's a lot easier to figure out like, don't like, root yes. for, don't root for. I am not sure. I'm halfway through season two, and I don't know how I feel about Sydney. Yeah, no, I know it. And like her sort of, I don't know, conven conventional TV doctrine you're supposed to root for her, you know, uh, but she continues to do sort of unlikable things, but you kind of understand why she does them. 
And I don't know if you're there yet, but they've introduced her dad, who just seems yeah. like a really great dude. Yes. And so you're kind of you're kind of rooting for that. And they they sort of nibble at the edges of maybe there's a little vibe between her and Marcus, which you're kind of rooting for because because you get the sense that like Marcus's chill would make her better and her motor would make Marcus a little better, you know. So you're you're kind of looking at that going, yeah. All right, I could I could see it. Um, so, yeah, I think she she's a character who really needs something, and she thinks what she needs is to be successful, but what she actually needs is probably something different, you know. And I I find that whole thing to be compelling, and even even the aspect of her in season two, like reading through a like a Coach K motivational book, yeah. like. It, it strikes me as very endearingly sad, you know, like this person is casting about kind of looking anywhere for inspiration. And the answer to her problems will not be to have a successful restaurant. Like it's something deeper than that. And I think for her to exist as that kind of person in a show like this, it's really important that she's there um, because she's got her growing to do as well. You know, would I, I think what's really interesting is that, the further you go, the more you realize she's she's like Carmi 1.0. So mm, that's right. You see him coming off of success and figuring out how to navigate life next. Yeah. She yeah. is aspiring to success. And there's there's one line in there's a scene, you know, where they're they're kind of reimagining the future and, and figuring out menu options and whatever. And uh and he asks her, How much do you want that Michelin star? And she's like, I really want it. And he goes, You have to care about everything more than anything Mm. and he says it and the sense that you get is it's a warning yes yeah that's right and she receives it as coaching yeah is the sense that you get and you're like oh this is yeah this this is going to cause a really interesting sort of character development arc because yeah she's she's sort of increasing in intensity yeah and he's you know, he's, he's trying to figure himself out and also going, I'm not sure that was worth it. Yeah, he's he's kind of asking her to pump the brakes, you know, but but yeah, in the way that young people who are maniacal about a thing only see and hear what they want to see and hear about that thing, like that's that's where she's at right now. And she can't see the warnings, you know. Um that that felt so much like a parenting moment to me, you know. Yeah. yeah. You tell your kids like this this is going to be really costly. And they're like, sweet, let's do it. And you're like, that is yeah. not what I meant. Yeah. You're not getting <laughs> not it. Not at all. Yeah. And, and so much of it boils down to like, where do we put our hopes in life? You know? And I, I feel like with more and more media, I'm watching it going. If there was a Christian in this, in the show, how would they handle this? Or if like I was in this, how would I be handling it? So if you take Carmi or Richie, and the the difference is they know Christ and they're walking closely with the Lord and they have a robust like local church life, which which almost seems like ludicrous to say. But there, there's a world in which that could happen. Like how would how would their approaches to these things be fundamentally different? And I think it's it has a lot to do with if my identity is not so kind of inextricably linked to success in this one area, then I can actually enjoy it a lot more. I can be quicker to apologize. I can be slower to anger. Um, I'm not perfect in the kitchen, you know, as a believer, but I'm 
I'm closer, hopefully, to what Christ would want me to be. And it'd be, it's just, to me, it's a really interesting thing to think about, you know? Yeah. And, and you see glimpses of it in the, in the more, in the more kind of those moments that you root for that, that kind of make you cheer. Those are the moments that you go, that, that feels the most sort of, I don't know, sanctified, if you will, where there's, there's, there's a moment where you go, that, that, that's the choice of real value here. Not just the choice of kind of conventional Hollywood wisdom or conventional cultural values, but like, yeah, I'm going to, I'm going to eat crow and apologize. I am going to do the costly thing or mm. in, in some cases, like I'm going to take a great risk because I think it's worth it, but not because I think it's going to fulfill me. Just it's worth the shot. Like this is a good yeah. thing to do. Yes. And uh, yeah, those, and, and, and those have a, a distinctly sort of Christian sensibility to them. Yeah. I mean, it's the cool thing about like watching TV as a Christian, <laughs> you know, you can, you can look at something and go, this reminds me of the old me. Um, I'm glad I'm not there anymore because of Christ, but I still really like these people, you know, and I want good for them. And I don't know. It's, it's a, it's a, and the, and the show has to have kind of a, an emotional heart for that to happen. Like I never did that with like, I don't know, some achingly hipster deadpan show like arrested development. Right. Which was like, so, too clever by half that it 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 was really clever and if you were a certain kind of smart person in like the early 2000s it was very important that you'd be able to talk about arrested development but the show had no heart i have no interest in re-watching it you know and i had no interest in thinking about like the interior lives of the characters <laughs> be, be, you know beyond just whatever i was seeing on the screen you know and it's and it's interesting you bring that up because I, I mean that's true of almost every like almost every comedy yeah is is too unhuman i mean going mm-hmm. back to like seinfeld and friends to yeah. uh you know whatever that you know kind of the the big bang theory to yeah. new girl to whatever like you can't apply anything that we're talking about to that because you're <laughs> like those those are all caricatures they're not humans dude here's what's weird though and you're you're absolutely a thousand percent right about that but then i think about comedies like um Step Brothers or wedding crashers and they kind of scan as these sort of you know over the top gross out comedies but then you you like peel back a layer or two and you're like oh this is this is really significant like these guys are trying to learn how to be brothers or they're trying to learn how to not be predatory scumbags and like the kind of growth that that the characters experience in comedies like that so you or even tommy boy right like Tommy Callahan loses his dad and he's kind of, he's kind of faced with this. Do I continue being just a, a goofball or do I level up and, and like try to be a man? And it, and it's actually, it's dumb and it's funny, but it's, it's really like there's, there's a heart to it that those shows that you mentioned don't have, you know? And I, I, I think the older I get, hopefully the the closer I get to the Lord, the more I'm drawn with, I'm drawn to like stuff with a heart, you know? Yeah. When it's it and some of those shows denied that on purpose. Like one of the yeah. rules of Seinfeld was the characters can learn nothing. Yeah. I mean, there's like rules for kind of how they write these things. And one of them is like we the characters will not learn. They will not develop. Yeah. And, and it, it, which really works as a comedic trope. Yeah. And is and is really like, okay, well that, that 
part of the reason we're enjoying this is because it sits way outside the realm of reality. Not yeah. there, there is nothing heartfelt in it. Yeah. Well, and it really, I think it was kind of a lifestyle for Jerry Seinfeld, you know? And, and if you, I don't know, I've, I've caught him on a couple of interviews and he had that show comedians and cars getting coffee. And it seems like his life is, is sort of an exercise in that. Like I'm, I'm just kind of this old semi-miserable rich guy who, you know, just buys cars and is famous. Makes and, makes humorous and semi-cynical observations about things. Right. And like the cynicism really resonated with me when I was in my 20s and kind of learning to be cynical. But yeah, like I don't want to be a 60-year-old glib cynical guy, you know? Like if I'm still making glib cynical observations at 60 and that's the sum total of my life, I will, I will have really fumbled the ball, you know, uh, <laughs> yes. it will not have been a good life. <laughs> yeah. Pipe. This has been fascinating. Um, to us, I've enjoyed- I have no idea if anybody else will be interested and, uh, that's okay yeah. because I, I hope some they shows are. are for us. Yeah. Some, some shows are for us. Sometimes we just need to have a conversation. And, uh, this was one of those shows, uh, go to the happy get your tickets for the live show September 24 in Indy and until next time. We want to take a moment to thank the team at Life Audio for partnering with us on this podcast. Be sure to go to lifeaudio.com and take a look at the other podcasts in their network. They've got shows about prayer, Bible study, parenting, and more. Have you ever attempted to read the entire Bible? Did you do it, or did you only make it part way? I'm John Stonge, and I host a podcast that will make it possible for you to make it through the entire Bible, one chapter at a time. I've been hosting the Chapter a Day Audio Bible Podcast since 2015, and every single day of the week, I read one chapter of Scripture, then follow that up with a time of prayer. And if you're looking for daily insights and inspiration directly from God's Word, I hope you'll give the Chapter a Day Audio Bible a listen. You can find it at lifeaudio.com or on your favorite podcasting app.